swept me off my feet you erased my history you took all of me and filled it up with you hello this is let's talk about it conversations with survivors of domestic abuse and i am patricia mclean host of this show and founder and president of Finding Our Voices, a Maine-based nonprofit organization marshalling survivor voices to break the silence of domestic abuse. Welcome to this conversation with Mandy. Mandy first got in touch with me by email in April of this year. She got in touch with me again in September when she felt ready to break her public silence about the man she fell in love with at 16 and who terrorized her and her family for many, many years. He served less than a year in jail, and when Mandy and I spoke, his probationary period was ending, and so was all court and legal protection from him for her. So my name is Mandy. Um, I live in the Ellsworth area, um, the surrounding town. Um, Yeah. Okay. (laughs) uh, Mandy, how long ago was this relationship that we're going to be talking about? Um, it ended, uh, December 5th, uh, 4th, 2015. How old were you when met him? I was, I was almost 16. How old was he? He was eight, almost 18. It grew pretty fast, pretty quick. Every high school girl was all about this guy and he was, his eyes were on me. And I just thought that, you know, it just, I thought I was the winner. It sounds like he was very popular in school. He was, yes, he and he still is, you know, in around this area. Everybody's like, oh, you know, they'll say his name. And they're like, oh, wow. So let's go back to the beginning. I know it's a long time ago, but when did you get the first signs that things weren't that great? <sighs> the first sign should have been how he was towards his mother. He would just call her names and yell at her and just. What, what, what names did he call her? Um, you'd call her a fat bitch. He called her that in front of you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And to her face? Yeah. I was just like, wow, why, why would you act like that towards your mom? And then, you know, when we were alone, he would say, well, you know, you don't know what she's done to me as a kid. She, you know, she drank a lot. She was always with different men. She beat me all the time. Um, just a bunch of things that made me feel sorry for him. That was one sign. What was another sign? He would pick apart a lot of my friends. So I found out I was pregnant and we were in my mom's bathroom and we just both cried. And he was like, I I don't want to raise a family split apart. We can make this work. I will be what you need me to be. I want to be a good dad. I didn't have a dad. My dad was, you know, a drunk. We had a good moment in the bathroom and just, you know, I'm like, we can make this work. I, my mom was a little promiscuous when I was young and I felt the same way and I didn't really meet my, my, he's my stepdad, but my dad, I call him my dad until I was eight. So between, you know, those years, my early years, I saw a lot of men in and out. So I, I just didn't want that for my kids. And he was really good through the pregnancy for the most part. Um, but there were times where he wasn't and he just, he was just a jerk. He just would be, if I didn't have dinner done on time, he would say, you know, like, I'm not doing this right. How are you going to, you're going to fail our son because you can't have dinner on the table by six o'clock. Um, just, just little things like that. Same thing with, with my ex. Like I, I just thought he's being a jerk, but we, I didn't see it as abuse. Did you see it as abuse back then? Not at all. Not at all. I didn't think, I just thought 
well, I'm hormonal, he's stressed out, he's, you know, he's working hard, we're trying to get our own place, we're trying to get everything for the baby, there's a lot of stress. I never thought it as abuse. Mm -hmm. yeah. And then what, what are some other things that started to happen? Um, well, we had our daughter, our first daughter pretty quickly, they're only 15 months apart. Um, and he was in and out of jail just for drug use um, here and there, just fights. So he would have, he has a couple of um, assault charges. Um, most of them were excuses because this guy was bad mouthing me. So we had to go beat him up, you know, and to me being in my late teens, early twenties, I was like, Oh, he's, he's my savior. He's, he's looking out for me. You know, I put this huge halo over him. Like he's, he's my protector, something I always wanted to have. And what did your friends and family think about him? None of them like him. None of them liked him then, and I didn't know it. The ones that I was allowed to be around put a face on so that they could see me and my kids. Um, but I never realized that they didn't like him um, for a long time. For do, you really think, long do you think time. it would have been helpful if you had known that? At the time, no, I don't think so. I was just so wrapped around my fantasy that I thought I always had, that I always wanted, that I thought I had. I just wanted to keep it. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he made it seem, you know, I know I have alcoholism in my family and I don't want my kids around it. It's something that I've just never wanted my kids to be around because I was around it so much growing up. So he would just use the right words to be able to say, hey, you know, this place isn't safe. If we're, you know, they can't babysit our kids because, Look at what they did to you. You know, they're going to do it to he, our kids. He was sent to jail for drug charges. So was he really the best influence around them? Exactly. Yeah, he definitely was not. He was not a good influence. And I wasn't either back then. I was not, I was not into good things. I definitely, I followed his path. I got into drugs. Um, we both had back injuries that we were prescribed medication for. Um, we had a doctor at the time that I thought was amazing because she would do whatever we asked pretty, pretty much. Um, and so we got prescription after prescription for quite a few years when her policy in her office is to prescribe for uh, two or three months after surgery. And we had both, both of our prescriptions for, I think, two years or more because we just, he was so good at manipulating and I just followed. I just followed suit. Is this opiates? Yeah. Were the kids close to him and did they love him? They did. He was a good dad when he was there, when he was present, when he was, when he was being nice. He was, he was good. He was the dad that got on the floor and wrestled with them. He was the one that you know, would go out and play basketball or play games outside. He would take them for hikes. Um, we would go camping, fishing. Um, he was very attentive. He was. So did that help? keep you there because you because the kids were attached to him it did yep the kids definitely they were daddy's kids they definitely loved because he, he was the play he was he was the one that played with them a lot i was the one that had to do bath dinner clean up get dressed um discipline that kind of stuff he was the fun parent and i was the one that had to keep things in line so they definitely favored him a lot and so i saw you know, a good dad that I just, I needed to keep in my kids' lives. You know, he may not be nice to me behind closed doors, but he's good to them. So I just need to stick it out for them, at least until they're old enough.
And did it get physical? How long before it got physical? I'd say probably almost 10 years. He slapped me across the face was the first time. And do you remember if a line was crossed when he slapped you across the face and what your reaction was? Um, I actually, my reaction was complete shock. I think he was just as shocked as I was that it happened. You know, he got right into a ball and did this, you know, shaking, crying. I'm so sorry. You know, I don't want to be like my dad. My, I watched my dad beat my mom. I, I don't, please help me be, not be that person. Please forgive me. You know, I don't want to lose you. I love you. I don't know what happened. I don't want that to come over me. Just, it's so freaking classic, right? It really, it really is. You know, I, I, after being out of it for almost five years, I'm like, if I would have just stopped it then and just walked away then, I would have saved a lot of pain, suffering for, for me and my kids. So. Yeah, but it was 10 years pulling you into it and you believed him, you know, you have a good heart. Yep. And you're trying to help him and, you know, yeah. Yeah. He'd always say, yeah, I'll go to counseling. I'll do counseling. He never did. Never, mm -hmm. not once. Yeah. Did the physical thing progress beyond that? Oh, absolutely. Um, fast forwarding to, um, I guess, my youngest daughter was in grade school. It definitely started getting worse. Um, but the drug use was worse. We'd watched all of, a lot of our friends get into hard drugs, get into needle use and overdose, some died, some didn't. So we just always were like, that's something we will never do. You know, we would never use a needle. It's something we just had many deep conversations about. The last year we were together was when it was really, really bad. So you didn't do the heroin, but he did? I did it, but I didn't use it through an IV. I just snorted Got it. it. Yeah. So um, he, he would say weird things like, oh, I forgot this at the store. Will you go to the store for me really quick? And the store is just a few minutes down the road. So I'd go and I'd come back and he would be like nodding out. And so just one night I was like, you know, this is weird. I'm just going to see if I could feel a track mark. I don't think it, I really don't think I'll see anything. I'll find anything. He's got full sleeve tattoos. So it was really easy for him to hide. And he was holding me and he was sound asleep. And I just felt up his arm and it was a, a huge track mark, probably two or three inches long. And I, I just jumped out of bed, instantly went to the bathroom that's in our room and was throwing up and he woke up to me throwing up and he's like, he was all concerned, like, babe, were you, you know, because if I was sick, most of the time he was great. Through my back surgery, he was great. He was very attentive. He was, he stepped up. He did really well, which sucked me back in. You know, I'd be like, I'm ready to leave. But then I'd be like, oh, he, I had the flu, but he was so good. He brought me soup. You know, he kept me warm, took care of the kids. You know, it was just a roller coaster of just good, bad, good, bad. Um, so when I was in the bathroom throwing up, and I was like, don't touch me. Just don't, don't fucking touch me. And he's like, what's the matter? I'm like, let me see your arms. And he was like, he's like, what are you talking about? I'm let me see your arms. And he's like, no, I'm not showing. And so we got physical. Like I was trying to see his arms and he wouldn't let me see them. And so we wrestled in the bathroom a little bit and he ended up shutting me into the bathroom and putting a bureau in front of the door so I couldn't get out. And he's like, I don't care. He's like, yeah, I am booting up and I'm going to do it right now. And I'm, I cried and I was like, please don't. Our kids, you know, you're better than this. You know, you're going to bring hepatitis into our house. Like, please don't do this. And after that, he didn't care if I was there or not. He would do it in front of me and I would do whatever I could to take whatever drugs he had, dump them on the floor, flush them down the toilet. 
you know, and every time I did that, it, it caused physical abuse. Um, but I didn't care. I just, I was, I thought I was saving him. If I got rid of whatever he got, I was saving him. So I, at that time, I just felt like I'll take the abuse just to save him. Um, but it just, it never, it just didn't work out. For many years, I thought, you know, it's the drug use. I, it, the drugs just clouded our judgment, our problems made, it just made everything worse. And for a long time, I begged for him to get better. I wanted, you know, was going to Boston, whatever it, whatever it takes. I'll go to rehab with you, whatever it takes. I was at that point where I just wanted to get clean and I couldn't because every time I would get, you know, have go a week with no drugs or, or whatever, he would force me to do them because he wanted to keep that control over me. How would he force you to do them? He would he would say he's gonna give me a black eye if I don't if I don't snort this pill. Did you ever think about any way out when this was all going on? I just thought that the only way I could go was if I packed up and just left and I was scared because I, I just didn't want to leave my my grandmother, my mom. You know, he would always say, if you leave, I will, I'll kill your whole family. And he knew the ones that meant the most to me. He would say, he would attack my grandmother the most. He would always say, you know, if you ever leave me, I'm going to, I'm going to rape your grandmother. Um, I'm going to kill your grandmother in front of you. And so I, I, I always thought that he would. So I just, I wanted to keep the abuse on me. I didn't want it to go to my family. And through all this time, was he abusing your kids? Not physically, but mentally, absolutely. And how was he abusing them mentally? Um, my oldest daughter, he would say, he would call her a fucking bitch. Um, you're going to grow up to be a slut like your mom. How old was she when, she when he said these things to her? 10, 12, young. My son, he would call him a little faggot. How old was he when she would do that? As, um, as early as seven. He told me a lot when he was younger um, that one day he was going to kill his dad. How old was he when he started saying that? Like 12. He slept with a machete for a long time. I never knew until after, after I left him. Um, but a lot of times the fights would happen at nighttime and I just, for whatever reason, I thought the kids couldn't hear. And I would always say, you know, can you, can you quiet down? Like, if you're going to yell at me, if you're going to hit me, can you do it quieter so the kids don't wake up? The whole time thinking that they didn't hear it and they did. They heard it every time. Um, yeah, my son had a safe word. Mama, if you just say this word, I would go to my friend's house next door and I'd call the cops. I remember um, he was choking me and I said it. And the next thing I know, the cops are knocking on the door and he's like, why the fuck are the cops here? I'm like, I played stupid, you know. I have no idea. I, I don't know. Um, and the cops came and they separated us. I had to go outside. He stayed inside. There was, I think, three cops there at the time. Um, 
and the officer, it took a little while for them to get it out of me. And I just started crying. I was like, I just want to leave. And he goes, do you want to press charges? I said, no, I just want to leave. And so I didn't actually press charges, but the state made me um, put a protection order on him. Did you have any, why didn't the police make, make an arrest? Did you have any marks on you? I didn't. Do you think that if they had made an arrest then, that it would have been a good thing? Only if he could stay in jail for a long time. That's the thing is he can get arrested and then bailed out. And you got this piece of paper that protects you, which is stupid, really. It's not, I mean, it's not stupid. I shouldn't say it's stupid because it's definitely helped me after. But in the beginning stages of trying to leave, where you're still hearing it in your head, I'm going to get out of jail. I'm going to go to this house and I'm going to kill them because you got me arrested. Those are all fears that, you know, you don't want to spread the abuse to your family. Really, it seems like the thing that needs to happen is they need to arrest these guys and they need to stay in jail long enough for you to get everything together and a safety plan in place. Yeah. And I, in my opinion, even as even just a simple complaint, they need to stay in jail or relocated or something so that the victim can learn to live without it. Because and also, don't you think get it, get him out of your head? Isn't that a big part of it too? Absolutely. For me, it was. It's, I, I needed the space away from him where he wasn't able to contact me, so reality could come back Absolutely. and the fog that he had put into my brain. Do you, do you remember like do you, do you think about those terms like having a fog in your brain and it, that yeah. means it takes time for that to dissipate and for you to start to understand what happened? Yes, I mean it's been five years and he still is in my head. He gets off probation. Um, actually have a meeting with my advocate um, this afternoon. He gets off probation on the 18th of November. The police left and they, they called you and they said that you had to fill a protection from abuse order? Yes. So tell me about what happened there. Um, it was, I think that was the first time that Missy actually got in touch with me was then. Um, I could be wrong, but um, it, I filled it out. We went to court. Um, I didn't have to see him in court. They kept me separated, which was good. I was afraid that I'd have to see him. It was granted for a year. Um, but then after three months, I just felt, you know, he's gone through rehab. He's doing really good. This is what I've always wanted is for us to be a family. Our kids are still young. Our oldest is only 14. I want to see how we'll do clean. My son saw him for Christmas. It was like three days after Christmas um, with his grandmother. And that was like testing the waters. You know, my son was the oldest. He knew his dad the best, I felt. Um, and he was like, Mom, he looks great. He's gained weight. He's doing really good. Um, I think you guys should, you know, try to talk. And so we ended up taught, we ignored the protection order. And we chatted on the phone. He sounded great. Um, and he just said, I just want to start over. Can will you give me that one chance to start over one more time? And you thought and, it was the drugs that were making him do this? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Because it was, if he was high, he was good. If he didn't have drugs, it was bad. How would you, were you able to get back together if you had a PFA? I dropped it. And, and, and when you said you were going to drop it, 
did the judge ask you why you were dropping it and did you have any intervention in dropping it it was easy it was really easy to drop it that judge failed me what do you think could have happened that maybe could have prevented you from going back from dropping it is there anything that you think that could have happened at that stage i think the judge should have said absolutely no no we're not dropping it there was a reason for it um the state felt that there was a reason for it a judge signed it no you have to stick it out I, even the last five to ten years the the people that i personally know in this area that have died from domestic violence it's been a history it wasn't the first time it wasn't the first arrest it wasn't the first issue um that led to death and i feel like the system failed those women big time so you dropped it you I dropped did. the judge you went before the judge and you, you dropped it and then and then tell me what happened after that um it, everything was great um just like every other time that we'd split up and gone back together the first first week first few months whatever it was this time it was a few months. He put on a great act. Um, like I said, I, I really thought he went through rehab. He must have done some reading because he he recited a bunch of different stuff that he learned in rehab. He made me feel like it was the drugs. Um, so I was continuing to be clean. Um, our, we were involved in our kids' lives, doing basketball and cheering, um, and just. I was just enjoying having all of us happy for quite a while. I'd been with him for many years, so I he was he's a commercial fisherman. He digs worms. Um, so over those years, I know I know what he makes in certain different times of the year. And he was coming home with a check that was like half of what he should be. And I was like, Jesus! I was like, Whoa, the tide small? Like, no, it just they didn't come up or. No, it's just this market's really shitty. They really want big worms or they really want these or whatever. And just had all kinds of excuses, so I just shoved it off. He's doing great. He's not angry. He's not, you know, blowing up. He, he's being attentive to me and the kids. I just didn't, I pushed it off to the side. Um, but it just, it grew. And then he hurt his back. And he's like, oh, I just want to get a little bit to help, help my back pain so I can go to work. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what at that time made me say, yeah, sure, whatever. But we slowly both got back into doing drugs. You know, it was once in a while, like once on a weekend or whatever, but then it became daily. Throughout the summer, um, it just was getting bad again. My kids, my older two were 14 and 15 and they didn't want to listen to it anymore. Um, so they moved in with my mom. My youngest didn't leave. She wouldn't, she wouldn't leave my side. She was, Daddy won't hurt you if I'm there. I came to around Christmas time. I was, I had a good job, um, but I was hiding money for Christmas so that he wouldn't spend it on drugs. And I had about 1200 bucks saved up and somehow he found the bank slip that said that I had that money. We realized that we weren't doing well and I had finally convinced him that I, you know, we weren't getting any better and that I wanted to stay friendly, but I wanted to split up. And it came to a point where he was okay with it. He was like, yep, I think you're right. We're gonna just split up. Um, I had my youngest at my mom's house that night and I was packing up and we were having a good evening. We, um, 
we had dinner together and we were having a civil breakup and I was thinking, you know, this is great. We can still, we can be friends. We can co-parent. We can do this. This is going to happen. It's, we're at this point. Our kids are old enough. They both, they, all of them know who mom is, who dad is, and it's going great. Um, he was helping me pack and he found an old prescription bottle of when I hurt my back um, earlier that spring. The bottle wasn't behind my bureau. He found that as he was helping me pack and it flipped from a peaceful civil situation to 100% violent. He just looked at me and his eyes switched. It's something that I grew to know when his eyes changed that it was going to be bad. Um, and he just looked at me. I was sitting on the bed and I was folding some clothes and he looked at me and he said, the fuck is this? And I knew what it was. And I tried to play dumb. I was like, I don't know. What is it? And he goes, you know what the fuck this is. And he flew at me. He grabbed me, um, put me in a chokehold and was like, you lying bitch. You're not going anywhere. You're staying right here with me. Um, I woke up after he choked me out again. Um, I was tied, naked. Um, well, he was just sitting watching TV laughing at me. Um, and it was, it was about midnight and he made me stay awake and he was burning cigarettes on me at one point while I was trying to, I had gotten out of what he had tied me up with. He was, it was kind of loose. So I had gotten out of it. Um, when he was, he was booting up and I was crying saying, please don't do that. And he goes, yeah, you, um, he goes, I don't care. You're not leaving. You're not leaving me. You're staying with me and I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you be an IV user. And he, it was physical. We were wrestling around and he got on top of me and he had, um, his bottom half on my chest with his legs on my arms. And he held me down and he shot whatever up in my arm. I don't know what it was. Um, and while he was doing it, he was laughing and saying it was an old needle from his drug dealer and that I was going to have hepatitis. Yeah. And that is in the report. I did put that in the report. Um, it, there's pictures of my, my the hole in my arm. And there's documentation of it. Because he said that I did it, of course. Um, there's documentation from a doctor saying the way that the mark is on my arm and the bruising, I couldn't have done it. It was gone just, you know, downward instead of upward. So it was definitely from him. Um, that's all in the report. It's all in, in the court documents. It was um, Friday morning and he wanted to go to the bank to get all of our money out or my money. So I get to the bank and I'd been up all night. I was crying. Um, and the tell and I, like a few days before that I had taken my money out and I had stashed it at my mom's. My middle child know, knew where it was. Um, so when we got to the bank, I knew there was no money there. Um, but I acted stupid and I was like, I'd like to take, you know, this money out from this account. And the whole time I'm like looking at the bank teller, like, please don't call the cops. Please don't call the cops because if he calls the cops, he's going to kill me. If he sees a cop, he's going to kill me. 
But he always said he wanted to go out in style. He wanted to go out cop suicide. You know, he was going to have a cop shoot him. Um, and at the bank, he had a knife. It was his shark hunting knife. He just had it next to my thigh and was in, we had rehearsed what I was supposed to say at the bank before I got there. The whole time I'm thinking it's either me or him that's going to die today and it's not going to be me. I just got to be ahead of him. And I really thought that I was going to have to, you know, kill him. I, that's how I was going to get out is by killing him. And how, you mean you thought you were going to somehow get the knife or something? Somehow, something, I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know. It was just a fear that I didn't want him to raise my kids without me. Hello, this is Patricia McLean, founder, president of the Maine-based nonprofit organization, Finding Our Voices, and you are listening to Let's Talk About It, my WERU radio show that is conversations with survivors of domestic abuse. Now let's return to my conversation with Mandy who was from the Ellsworth area. He'd already smashed my cell phone. He'd done that several times over the years. Um, and we get to my mom's and obviously the kids are almost ready to leave for school. It was like 7.30. And he's like, put your bags down. We're not going anywhere. And my mom's like, what do you mean? They've got school. They got to go to school. And, um, yeah, so he held us at my mom's house for almost 15 hours. And in that time, he smashed my son's Xbox, my kids' phones, my dad's big screen TV, um, pictures of my brother who had passed away when I was a kid. He was burning those pictures. And the whole time he said, you better not, you better hope no cop comes up this driveway because I'm going to kill you all. Um, he had us all lined up at one point, my youngest daughter, my middle child my son and then my mom and he had me in a chokehold with a knife against my throat in front of the kids they're all crying and he said I see a cop if I so much as see a cop come up the driveway I'm going to slit every one of your throats starting from youngest to oldest leaving my mom the last because she was the bitch that created me up until this point my mom was supportive of him and she almost encouraged me to stay with him even though she knew that there was abuse happening because she just thought that he just wasn't brought up in the right way he just didn't have enough love growing up my mom's got a lot of mental issues definitely and so that, that, helped. I mean, I, that must have helped keep you with him to some degree it did it did and i and i still hold a grudge against her we've worked a lot of it out my mom and i are really close but there was many times in the very beginning of our relationship that I left and I was staying at her house for the weekend with the kids and she convinced me to go back. My mom had a lot of hard times growing up. She lost her son at a really young age. So I really tried not to hold it against her. I was supposed to go to work um, and I just, I finally convinced him. I was like, you've been up for two days shooting cocaine and heroin, speedballing up and down. Let's go home and take a nap. I love you. I just want to go home. I'm not going to leave you. I'm sorry I said I was going to leave you. I don't want to leave you. I want to work through this. Let's just leave the kids here at my mom's. Let's just go take a nap. I finally convinced him to go home. My mom was like, I don't want you to leave. I'm like, Mom, I, it's not going to be good. And I just can't have it happen in front of the kids. My mom drove us home. 
I worked at a place where I had an RN who was married to a state trooper. Um, and I think she saved my life. I think that's where my life was saved is my mom called her and said, Mandy's not coming in today. And she's like, is she sick? And she said, no, she just told me to tell you she can't come in today. And that was, I talked to her many times and I said, if I call and say I can't come in with no reason, it's because Bruce is making me not come in. And she said, okay. Um, and she called her husband and evidently they had already had a plan in place. And that state trooper got a bunch of people together, a bunch of officers, um, game wardens, just, I don't even know how many cops, just so many. Um, and at the same time, I had gotten him to sleep. Um, I laid down with him and just lied the best that I could. You know, I love you. Um, we're going to make this work. Let's just take a nap. He barricaded the doors, the windows, you know, because he was, you're not leaving me. You're not going anywhere. Um, so I was like, I just got to get him to sleep. I know he's been up for two or three days. If he falls asleep and I just stay still for this amount of time, I know he's going to be in enough sleep where I could sneak out. And so I just laid there and I listened to him breathe when we waited for him to fall into a nice sleep. I sat and watched a 30 minute show so that I knew he was definitely asleep and I got up carefully went to the bathroom just kind of made a little bit of noise to see if I could get out he never budged so I didn't grab anything I just I was in my slippers and PJ pants and a t-shirt in December and I walked out and I got out of the house and I was like okay I'm out oh my god I'm out and I kept looking back, and I'm like, he's not coming. Okay, good. And I just started running. And then I got two houses down, and I see a state trooper. And I'm like, oh, my God, there's a state trooper. What the hell? This is awesome. And I get to the car. The car's running. There's no cop. I'm like, where the fuck is the trooper? Little did I know, at that very time, my coworker's husband had gotten all of the state troopers and game wardens and vocal cops and they were all in ghillie suits and they were surrounding the house and they watched me leave. Um, I got to my neighbor's house which is about a half a mile down the road and she drove me to my biological father's house and while I was at his house which is only a few miles down the road I heard all kinds of sirens and cops just and I knew where they were going. Um, and then after I talked to the trooper, um, they surrounded the house with dozens of different law enforcement. Um, they got into the house because I left the door unlocked. Um, they got in the house all the way upstairs with four state troopers and two dogs before he woke up. And of course, guns were drawn. They woke him up and he had the knife still in his hand. And as soon as he opened his eyes, he reached over to where I was laying with the knife so that's in the report also like he was going to either hold me hostage with the knife or cut me or whatever um yeah and that was the last time i saw him how did you feel about 
when you first heard state troopers and the sirens, what was your feeling? I was scared. Um, it wasn't relief to hear no. that. Mm -mm. No, I didn't, I didn't feel relief for years, really, and I still don't. Um, just, I, I knew they were at his house. Um, I knew my dogs were gone because they're at my mom's. I knew my kids. I knew the only person that was there was him. And I was afraid that he was either going to hurt a police officer in the process or, uh, or that he was going to run. I was afraid that he was going to run and get out of the house um, and get in the woods and hide. I was afraid that they weren't going to get him. And it was about... And, he, and he'd be madder than ever. Oh, yeah. That's, yeah. That, is that why, why you were afraid? Because he's, he's going to get away and he's going to be madder than ever. Yeah, and he wouldn't come for me first. He would go to my grandmother's house. Were you happy with what happened with the district attorney in the court situation? Um, at first, it seemed okay. You cooperated. Yeah. I did. Um, but I was getting these big promises that he was going to stay in jail. Um, and was then the first court, court hearing. Was anybody from the court telling you that, that he was going to stay in jail? The victim's advocate, I mean, from the courthouse, she was. She was saying it. The state troopers were. My attorney was. Um, Who was your attorney? Rick Doyle. Rick, oh, Rick from Next Step. Okay, you, Rick yeah. Doyle was saying that he was going to get a, a long term. He thought yeah. that he was going to get. Yeah. And did you want him to get a long prison sentence? He did. What did you want? Five years. Five years in jail, at least. Mm -hmm. It was just back and forth. You know, I'd have to go to court for this, and then I'd have to do it for this. Like, he stayed in Hancock County until February, um, until he was actually sentenced, because um, it was back and forth. His his lawyer um, felt that where I had dropped the PA the year before, that it wasn't cru crucial, that this was just something that I was making up, that I um, and making it worse than what it was, because if I was so scared, why did I drop it before? So his lawyer believed that, but do you think anybody outside of his lawyer believed that? I do, because they counteracted our, our offer of I think it was like five years and um, five years probation with no jail time and five years probation. What is, what is it what does a friggin difference make what they counter it, it's not even should, shouldn't be considered it's absurd it why should, does it even matter it should also let me ask you why we, why did your lawyer only ask for five years why didn't they ask for 20 years I think they were going for the max but then it just it had gone back and forth with oh he did you know there's just they were playing they were playing my credibility because of me dropping that charge. Before. So that dropping that charge sounds like it's a pretty huge thing. It ended up being a huge thing for you. It did. It screwed me. Major. Yep. And don't you think that judges and juries and everybody, except for lawyers for perpetrators, know that why women drop PFAs? You would think so. It's not the first time. Um, but it, but the way that they were wording things, it was making me think that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Like maybe I was making this up and it was just another head game from somebody else. It was, you know, my the lawyer, not strong enough to be counteracting that for you. No, he did really good. I really, I really think he did, but it was just, I, I don't know. I think he was up against the world is what I felt like when we, when we finally made the agreement. And why is there even an agreement? Why is it just go to trial? I don't know. 
I don't know. I just, I just kept saying the only thing I know I need is for him to be locked up so that I can heal and move on so that I don't go back. Don't go back. Right. So you, you were worried that he was going to lure you back. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You, you were worried that, that he was going to find a way to, 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 to get you to come back to him. Yep. I know. I knew at that point that I needed to be away from him longer than a couple of months, longer than, you know, as long as possible so that I could heal and learn to live a life without all the head games and without all the worry and just bullshit. It's interesting because like when my ex was, uh, his bail conditions of no contact and he would send messages to me, like they were love messages, you know, go in the house to pick up my belongings that, you know, he made it really hard for me to be able to go back and get my stuff. And there would be like a card, like to my only friend. Right. I knew that these were really dangerous things because he was trying to get in my head to make me go back to him. But it seemed like when my lawyer was writing up things that they didn't consider that as egregious. I was psyching myself out. It was like, well, how can I, you know, if I, if I mention all these things, people are just going to say, well, they're just wonderful things that he's trying to do, you know? Right. He's just trying to be sweet. Yeah. What I knew, that's the way to, that he was going to try to get to me. And I was terrified, me too, that he was going to pull me back because he yep. had always done that. Yeah. My ex was very good at that too because we'd had such a long history. Yeah. Um, what people have to realize is that in those few months when, you, when you've gotten away, like it's critical and crucial that he stay out of your head and he not be able to get those messages to you. Yeah. Even my, even my own lawyer was relaying messages from, from him that he, his, my lawyer was saying, Oh, uh, I got a message from his lawyer that he's pining for you. Why is my lawyer telling me that? That's just getting in your head. I know. That's not right. So, um, it's third party contact yeah. with my own lawyer. Yeah. The numbers just kept getting lower and lower of, of the jail. Oh, time. Yeah. Every time. Did this not go to trial? No. Why? I think he was scared to have it go to trial. I think. But then if he's scared of going to trial and he's going to plea out, then why not get the highest possible sentence for him? I think that I just think it's all corrupt. Something's going to change. Something's going to definitely change because it's not going away. Um, I don't know, I guess men think that they can get away with it because they've seen so many times where people have gotten away with it and it, it's just pushed under the rug. It's hidden. It's hush hush. Um, and especially if the woman goes back, it, there goes her credibility just that first time. Oh, you went back. So it must not be that bad. When it was finally brought down to, to a ridiculously low amount, did you get on board with that? I feel like I was given a shitty deal versus a shitty deal. Like they, they presented, you got to either pick one or the other. It's pretty much how I felt. Yeah. And neither one of them were that great. So yeah. I picked what was best for me out of the two. And that was him going to jail for a year. How many years probation was he on? Four. Uh, the first probation officer I met with, I felt really confident. Like, he's going to keep on top of him. He's going to make sure he does his classes. He's going to make sure he stays clean. He's going to make sure um, that he doesn't violate it. And if he does, he's going to get in trouble. 
um, while they were in the middle of switching, my ex got a, assigned somebody else, which was Kurt Dyer. And he's just done nothing. Like every, he's almost played me against my ex and made me look like I'm trying to cause problems. Like the first time I met with him, he said, if there's anything you ever hear, or if you ever just want to talk to me about concerns or anything, just call me. Okay. So, you know, I'm going to do that. So I, for instance, the first time that he was out, out of jail, I saw him at the local store. He did what he was supposed to do. He left. Um, and I finished my, you know, I grabbed milk, bread, whatever. And I left, I got in the car, I called Kurt Dwyer. And I was like, I just want to let you know, I just saw him. Um, he did what he was supposed to do, but I just wanted to let you know. Kurt called him, my ex, and was like, I just wanted to let you know that Mandy's giving me a call, letting you know that she just saw you. Why do that? Why? So his mother would tell you that, that, that they got that word. Yes. I'm like, you, you just wanted me to call and let you know. I'm, I'm hearing that he's at this party. I'm hearing that he's drinking. I'm hearing that he's doing drugs. I'm hearing that he's doing this. And, and the probation yeah. officer did nothing about all these things? No. He would call him and say, I got to have you come in next week for a drug test. Next week? Yep. I told him, I said, these are the, I've been with this man for 20 years. I, if he's going to do drugs, I know it's this time of year. If he's going to slip up doing this, I know it's this time of year. He would call him and tell him, I'm causing problems. I'm calling again. I'm doing this. Okay. So I just stopped calling. I stopped calling altogether. I haven't called Kurt Dyer's office in probably two years. So um, he gets out of jail. You must have been terrified. Did you move? Oh, I, the next step actually paid for us to go to New Hampshire for the weekend. We were gone. Um, he got out of jail on a Friday. We left Thursday and then come back till Sunday. I wish I could have just taken the time to really heal before I really said this or that. Um, Made those decisions. Those crucial yeah, decisions. because I've, I've struggled. I, I struggled financially, um, and I still do because of my credit from when I was with him. A lot of bills didn't get paid because I had to sneak to pay bills. But, um, but your credit report is affected by that? Absolutely. Even though they're, they're his bills? They were in my name. And then also, was it, wasn't there anything, was there anything in the settlement? What, what about the financial agreement in the settlement? How, how did that he didn't happen? Have to, he didn't have to pay back anything. All of our phones that were broken, my dad's TV, my son's Xbox. Um, and how did that happen? That he didn't have to pay back anything? It was just part of the deal. It was just something that was just, he had no restitution. And I, I never still, I still don't know why. The five felony charges. Three of them were brought down to misdemeanors. I think the first number that I was given was was five to ten years for each felony, which would have been like 20, 30 years. Wow. So I was like, whoa, okay, holy shit. Yeah, this is serious. Like, it kind of opened my eyes to, yeah, wow, this is big. Right. Um, and it also validated for you how serious it was, too. Yeah, it did. It really, it kind of solidified a lot of doubt that I'd been playing around with my head. Like, okay, am I making this up? Like, am I really, you know, did I really egg this fight on or did I really deserve this? Pretty quickly did the numbers start to come down? Oh, yeah. I mean, this, it, this all happened in December, the beginning of December, and he was sentenced in the end of February. How about the judge? What would you say about the judge? I just feel like the judge just went with whatever was put in front of him. He didn't really... 
I don't, I don't know if you really didn't look into it or, or what, but I just feel like, okay, well, you know, your lawyer and his lawyer come up with this agreement. Okay, here we go and signed it. Tell me what, what, what how you were treated by DHS. HS. Um, DHS was definitely not treating me with any sympathy. They were attacking me um, big time. The safety plan that was first set in place was I was not allowed to go back to the house. Um, but I still needed to pack my stuff. So I was allowed to go, but the kids weren't. Okay, well, that didn't make any sense to me when I had a 14 and 15 year old at the time. That was wanted he, to get wasn't, there. He, wasn't he in jail though? He was in jail. And I was supposed to be notified if he got out, like if he got out on bail. So, or if, he, so if he's in jail, you feel like you're safe enough to go to the house. Right. And so they came at me after they checked on the kids on a Friday at school. They came at me after, you know, they said, have you been to the house? And none of us thought that it was a big deal. Yeah, we had to pack up. This was two weeks prior to us moving out. We have all of our stuff there. Yeah, we need our stuff. So I stayed the night with the kids um, on a Monday night and they we packed up a ton of stuff and they got on the bus at school. I wasn't hiding. They got on the bus at the house on the Tuesday morning and I finished that day while they were at school getting all of our stuff out. Well, Friday comes along and DHS did their check-in with the kids at school, which pissed me off because they'd gone through a lot and they did not have to be pulled out of class from a DHS worker in grade school and high school, whatever classes that they were in, they got pulled out, um, which was embarrassing for them, they told me. Um, and my youngest daughter was kind of tricked by the caseworker when she said, yeah, we went to the house to pack up. And Friday afternoon, I got a message from the caseworker, I was at work and she said, you need to meet me here at three. And I was like, I don't get out of work till five. She's like, well, you need to meet me here by three. So I'm like, uh, great. So I told my boss, you know, I got to leave. Um, and I was, I was trying my hardest to keep that job, but I was teetering. I was, it was bad. Um, I knew I had to get done, but I didn't want to because just my mental state was bad and I was taking care of critical patients um, at the time. So long story short, I ended up getting done because of my mental state. But anyway, um, I got to DHS and they said, what don't they, she pushed the paper in front of me and said, said, can you read this over? And it was my safety plan. And I said, I don't have to, I know what the safety plan says. We just made it last week. And she she freaking oh. knew what you had gone through and oh, she was yeah. that way? Oh, she was a rotten, rotten woman, rotten woman. Um, she said, what in this, what on that first page don't you understand, Amanda? The assault happened on the 4th of December. This was the 18th of December. So it was that quick of time. She's, you know, badgering me, making me feel like I'm, you know, being a horrible mom by taking my kids to the house where the assault happened and where, where so much traumatic stuff happened. And I'm like, my kids needed their stuff. Basically, my, I, the safety plan was that if I violated it, my cousin was going to take all three of the kids so they didn't go into foster care. The safety uh, yep. plan is meant to protect you and your kids, but here she's using it against it to punish you. Yep. Yep. She absolutely did. She was. Were you crying? Oh, uh, yeah. Yep. I said, well, can I, you know, my son was at a, um, you know, because this was after school. He, it was a Friday. He had a Boy Scout Christmas party planned that he does every year. And he was at the Boy Scout function for the weekend. And they went and picked him up there. Wow. The cousin's house. Wow. So on top of all this traumatic stuff that my kids have gone through, they're ripped away from me too. So it's, it's, 
but they, 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 they took your kids away from you. Yep. So how long were your kids away from you for? Um, from December 18th, I didn't get partial custody back until June 2nd. Were you fighting to get them back? Yeah. But at the same time, um, my sobriety was teetering pretty hard at that time. And that's what pushed me to get clean. So it, as much as it, it hurt, it saved my life in a way too, you know? Yeah. So I was really able to get the time in that I needed to figure out how to stay sober. He didn't get out early, did he? He got out in 11 months. So he got a, a month shaved off his sentence? Yep. And what, what was the reason for that? For good time. He was good in they jail. Call, they call it good time. Yep. They have the nerve to call that call it good time. Yep. How did you feel good about that? After. What's that? How did you feel about that? Um, I was mad. Um, and I had gone through all the steps of, you know, letting his probation officer know, um, letting everybody know that, you know, he is a smooth talker. He knows when he's pushed back in a corner and he knows how to get out of it. He knows what to say. He knows how to say it. And for four months, I lived with this guy not knowing he was using IV needles and he was. Do you remember what your state was that he was going to get out? I wanted to be as far away from Ellsworth area as possible. Um, and I had talked to Missy and Lindsay a lot about it and they came up with enough money for me to take me and the three kids. We went to um, New Hampshire and we went to an inside water park and I did my best to pretend that it wasn't bothering me just to have fun with them. And they did the same for me. It's just a weekend. Yeah. But it was nice. I mean, that weekend it was nice because I knew. It was like our last weekend to feel free. So we lived it up. That was a conversation with Mandy weeks before the four-year probationary period for her ex was set to expire, and along with it, any and all court oversight of the man who served less than a year in jail for terrorizing her and her family for more than a decade. I am Patricia McLean, founder and president of the nonprofit Maine-based organization Finding Our Voices. You can find us at findingourvoices.net. If you have a message or comment from me or any of the guests on my show, you can email me at hello at findingourvoices.net. And if what we are talking about sounds familiar, if a family member is making you afraid and or controlling what you say, who you see, and what you do, or if you want advice on how to help a loved one who is going through this, call your local domestic abuse agency. They understand it and believe you. The statewide helpline number is 1-866-834-HELP. And remember, love should feel good. You swept me off my feet. You erased my history. You took all of me and filled it up with you. You're a bully. You're 
just a bully. I was scared you'd leave me. I was afraid you'd kill me. I tied myself in knots because I knew what you could do. You're a bully. You're just a bully. And when I walk in town, I keep my head down. I wear a mask to cover my bruises. I do what I can to keep the peace. I am too strong to be broken. You were weak one time. You were in bed with the flu. And I loved you then cause you were really you. You're a baby. You're just a baby. And you were always so afraid that people would think you were weak. So all you ever did was push them around You're a baby, you're just a baby, and when I walk in town I keep my head down, I wear a mask to cover my bruises, I do what I can to keep the peace, I am too strong to be broken, you broke down the door that you were strong but I was wrong that's me and I don't need your strength I've got my own you're a bully you're just a bully